Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high-income earners come to learn wealth-building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth-building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. Hi, everyone. My name is Christian Allen. I'm here with my co-host, and you know him as Rodney, the pods of Risky. What's up, Rob? Hey, I am doing great. Okay, so are you ready to talk about an extremely timely and important episode topic today? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'm ready. We're going to hit on, and we're going to hit it directly the impact of rising interest rates on the capital avalanche strategy. Yes. We're going to talk a little bit more broadly about things too, but like the emphasis here, the focus is really on the impact that interest rates are going to have and are having on this new strategy that we've laid out. And here's the thing, Rod, we have tons of people who are interested and looking into it right now. And so like a lot of people are having this question. And so Mm -hmm. we just thought, it makes a ton of sense for us to hit it right on, hit it very directly. Now, um, the fun part is, is that we can kind of put our money where our mouth is today because we actually just barely put our capital avalanche strategy into place right before, or right, I guess it was right before the last big interest rate hike, right? We, it was it was after the first one and before the second one. Yeah, so we put the application in, but we actually funded it after the second rate hike. Uh, so, so we could have we could have walked away at that point. Yeah, we did not walk away. Yeah. Okay, so we put three hundred grand into our initial capital avalanche strategy. We're very excited about it, despite the fact that interest rates are rising. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of confidence in the strategy and plan. But today, our hope is that we can um, help other people understand and see that as well. Okay, so Rod, before we talk about how the this interest rate hike is impacting the capital avalanche specifically? Why don't you take a minute, Rod, put on your economist hat, and just give us a little bit of context for interest rates rising in general and what that means for the economy. Okay, I'll do I'll do my best on the with the economist hat. Yeah, put I- the economist hat. Okay, and again, full disclosure disclaimer: Rod is not an economist. However, he's a he's a pretty smart and well thought out guy, so I, I think that he's worth listening to. Okay, yeah, Rod, what do you I just got play on one on YouTube every once in a while? Okay. Yep. So uh, first, I want to talk about just kind of the purpose of the Fed and the the two things specifically that they're tasked with is number one to control inflation, mm, very number two to stimulate the economy. Okay. How, how how are they doing right now with the controlling the inflation rates? They're getting a solid like I don't know maybe a D minus. <laughs> If I'm being generous, generous, yeah, that is generous. At least right now, I mean, again, and, maybe historically it's been better, but like and maybe we should before, define define what their goal is. Their goal is two percent. How we do it? Okay, two percent. Two percent. Sound pretty good. Well, I think didn't they say like la- the last year was like nine something like that, and it yeah. was looking like it could be even higher than that. Right. Yep. Yep. It hasn't been and, a great time for inflation. That's for sure. One of the problems is they ignored it for a while. It was we were like six months in, and they were still saying, "Oh yeah, it's just transitory. We don't have to worry about this. It's yeah, it's, it's gonna that pass." Was the buzzword. Yeah, transitory. That's it. It'll it'll spike for a few minutes, but then it'll 
Okay. Anyway, here we are, and it looks like uh, inflation's at least here to stay for a little while, and, and there's going to be some work to do to get to that under control. Yep. Okay, so, when so inflation the first thing goes, is, okay, you go. Yeah, Sorry. so when inflation goes up, they, they raise interest rates to mm-hmm. slow down the economy. In other words, uh, one of the things that drives inflation is money. Well, if, if there's too much money flowing, if it's too easy for businesses to be getting lending, to be out spending, consumers do the same really thing the key. it's about yep. the flow of money through lending now that's not the only yep. way but lending is what drives spending right 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 so that's what's happening okay so you raise interest rates that slows things down allows the inflation to come back into control so to speak hopefully get back to that two percent rate um and they have to be careful they don't want to go crazy and and cause a recession and yet that may happen anyway right it may be yep not i mentioned this before rod um i mentioned to you at least that our good friend richard duncan says that we are in for a rough landing i think it was yeah. rough landing hard landing something like that and uh anyway so we'll see what happens but yes that's part of the goal is to you know make sure that they keep us out of a recession we'll see how mm-hmm. we'll see how well they do there yep Yep. And then the second point I talked about stimulating the economy, and that's more of what we've seen after 2008, after 2020. Does that uh, just mean printing money? Their, their job well, is print money? They're not the ones that print the money, but they lower the rates to, oh, to make the, okay. the flow okay. faster. But, you know, the, thanks for clarifying but, but, that. But they're in, they're in cahoots with, uh, with the Treasury, right? <laughs> <laughs> they are definitely in cahoots with the Treasury to stimulate the economy. Okay. So, that's good, Rod. Let's take off the economist hat as it relates to the economy in general. Okay. And now let's put on your life insurance expert hat, which again is a hat you wear quite well. And we're going to talk about the impact of rising interest rates briefly on whole life and index universal life. And again, the reason is because these are both the strat, both both the types of life insurance policy that we use inside the Capital Avalanche. So yeah. in order to understand the nuts and bolts of Capital Avalanche and what happens when we have interest rates rising there it's important to understand the products that make up the strategy okay that said rod talk about whole life first okay inside of whole life just as a recap in terms of how the cash value grows there are two pieces there's a guaranteed interest rate and there's the dividend guaranteed interest rate stays the way that it's contractually guaranteed you know exactly what it's what it is and what it will be uh right now you know, the, the companies can choose anywhere between two and three and three quarter percent. Most of the products that we're seeing is, is right around three percent for the guaranteed interest rate portion. If you have an older policy uh, yeah, last year four, or before, for a long time, four percent. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I, I say that. And like the interesting thing is the actual return hasn't really changed. Right. Just the amount that's guaranteed versus. So so it gives companies an opportunity to pull back if they feel like they need to. But the nice yeah. thing is, you know, they have to be competitive too. And we'll get to this, but it's not looking like it's going to happen anytime soon. That, that yeah, we'll it looks like it's probably going to be going the <laughs> other direction pretty yes. quickly here. Yes, okay. Teaser. Okay, so on top of the guaranteed rate, then we have the dividend. And the dividend is based on the insurance company. Where that comes from is we're using what we call mutual life insurance companies, which means that the policyholders become owners of the company. Therefore, when they declare a dividend, policyholders get a portion of that. 
get their mm-hmm. portion according to their uh, ownership of the company. So right now, or you know, recently over the last several years, a, a, the total between the guarantee and the dividend, depending on the specific company, somewhere in the five to six percent range. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Now, one major portion of what di- dictates what the dividend is going to be is the kind of return that the insurance company is getting in their investments. So they have huge amounts of reserves because of what they are, right? They have to be paying out these death benefits, not just today, but in 10, 20, 50 years when people are passing away. So they have to be prudent in the way that they invest, grow their money so that they're ready to do those things. Well, they invest in dividends bonds and notes and things like that. So the return they're getting helps dictate what the dividends are. Oh, but if interest rates are rising, that means that they can earn higher returns in their investments, which means the trickle down effect is that dividends go up. So the expectation from our side is that uh, over time, dividends will rise without question. Um, It's just a matter of how quickly. So there could be a year or a period of time where there's an inverted relationship because interest rates are rising fast and the dividend hasn't caught up with it. Mm-hmm. But again, I always make this point, life insurance is designed to outperform general interest rates and over time, it absolutely will. So we just have to be able to overcome that short period of time that might have an inverted relationship. And the nice thing is, we're, we're gonna talk about this in detail, the capital mm-hmm. avalanche is uniquely designed to do exactly that. Yes. And the reason there's a lag, just just to maybe clarify that point, is just because between the time where the, re- the rates actually rose and they're able to actually capture that return, which then translates into the dividend, it just takes time for that to happen. So there could be a couple of years yep. between the rising interest rates to the point where that translates into a higher dividend. Yep, that's fair. Okay, so I think that's probably good on the whole life side. Let's talk Agreed. next about the... Uh, Index Universal Life side. Okay, Index Universal Life. It grows in a very different way. right? The growth inside of those policies is linked to a market index like the S&P 500. Uh, your money, the money that's in the cash value, is not actually invested in that index. Instead, what they're doing is they're using what happens in that index as a measuring stick to determine how much interest you earn each year. right? Yep. More specifically, what they're doing is... Well, put it this way, if, if it was a traditional universal life policy where they were just giving you an, an interest credit, that interest credit would be based on whatever they're earning inside of their accounts and in, in their investments or their general account. Instead, they take that money that, that's represented by that interest credit that they're not putting in your policy. Instead, they're using that to go buy options on that index, S&P 500 or whatever. And then that's why it's, it's tied to that. If the in a year where that index goes up, you participate in a portion of those gains up to a cap. In a year where that index loses value, you don't participate in those losses, but you just don't earn any interest in that year. Basically, what point is they took that money, they put it in the options, the options expired worthless, right? Because the, the index went down, so you just don't earn any interest. But again, your money was never at stake. It, it just was staying in there, sitting in your account. Yeah, and that's really why why the concept is able to create a cap and a floor, right? Yep. It's just, yep. It really is. It's kind of a for an individual, it might be kind of a sophisticated options play, but done on an institutional level, it's it's relatively simple. Okay, Rod. So 
one of the benefits to the IUL side over whole life in an interest rate rising environment is that it's like, not just likely, it is going to be more quickly able to uh, adjust to interest rates. So we're already seeing interest rates. I shouldn't say that we're already seeing caps improve on mm-hmm. some of these IULs. And again, as a cap improves, that gives us opportunity to get to, to capture more growth. And of course, when it's leveraged, that multiplies even further. Yeah, because if interest rates are going up, then that gives them a, a higher budget to go out when they're buying those options, yep. which means the caps go up. Okay, good. So we've talked about the Fed and kind of the, the goals of the Fed. Mm-hmm. We've talked about now the impact that rising interest rates has on whole life and IUL. Mm-hmm. Now, Rob, let's kind of get into the meat of it. We're going to talk about the capital avalanche. And again, we're going to focus on what are the issues that we have to be looking for in a situation just like this where interest rates are going up. Um, and then we're going to ask ourselves the question like, does it make sense to still do it right now? Does it make sense not to? Now, obviously, we are biased, right? We have a dog in the fight. Um, yeah. However, we're still going to show again that we're more than happy and comfortable to put our money where our mouth is. And so we're going to use the example of the policy that we just barely put into force or the, the strategy that we just barely put into force with the combination of, of 150,000 going into whole life, 150,000 going into IUL. Okay, Rod, so that was a that was a, a handful I just threw out there. Where do you want to start? Let's start with just the whole concept of the spread because Perfect. That, that's why people are concerned or, th- or thinking about a rise in interest rates because if the interest rates are going up, doesn't that mean we're just going to be paying more interest in on our loans? Yes. Yep. Yes, it does. Oh, great. Um, but again, as we just kind of emphasized with the products, it also drives the return of the products higher. So then what's the net effect of all of that happening, right? Yeah, that's the question. And maybe what we should do, Rod, is go into this conversation. I, I want to make this emphasis. I don't know if we've emphasized this yet. The design of the capital avalanche is put in place with a concept we're going to talk about, which is what we call it net equity. And it's put in place and designed to be able to withstand the difficult circumstances that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And maybe not even say withstand. They're, it's designed in a way that we expect that over a long period of time, we're going to have those happen. Like mm-hmm. the numbers that we show are, are absolutely including times where the market doesn't perform well, mm-hmm. where interest rates are high. All of those things are going to happen in a 15, 20, potentially 30, 40 year time frame, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And I think that's for that's maybe the the first thing to emphasize and help people to understand is it's built in. We expect it to happen. We're going to show that as we go through this example, but just keep that in mind as we're talking through it. When we run any projections, we do it based on an average 2% spread. I emphasize that word average because as you just said, we know there'll be times where we're earning less than a 2% spread, and we know there'll be times where we're earning more than a 2% spread. So then the question is is the What's our confidence level in that average so that when we spread it out over a long period of time, that our projections are not only realistic, but, you know, in our minds are actually pretty conservative. Why did we use 2%? Okay. Uh, Historically speaking, when you compare the difference between what we're able to earn inside of the policies versus what interest rates are in relation to that, 
when you spread that out over say 15 years, there's never been a time where we would have had less than a 2% spread. So when we actually run them and we use a 2% spread, we feel pretty confident in those projections. So what's happened is, uh, and I'm just gonna say, we through a partner of ours have done a significant amount of research and specifically have been able to show out that in any given 15 year period of time, we've never been less than 2%. And again, um, that's worst case scenario in a 15 year mm -hmm. timeframe. So when we go out with our projection, we're gonna show our probable scenario. Our probable scenario is expecting to only get 2% on our spread. Mm -hmm. That's important. And of course, we're gonna show something much worse. What if we only get you know half of that kind of a spread? What does that look like? What does yeah. it look like if interest rates go crazy like they did in the 80s? Mm -hmm. What does it look like if the market tanks like it did in the during the Great Depression? All of those things are built in. We believe that the plan has to be designed to succeed. In other words, failure is not an option. So it's built in a way that's uh, designed to withstand those issues that come up. And it's designed to be flexible enough that it's easily, you're, we're easily able to adjust and mitigate when situations come up. Sure. Okay, yeah, and I think right. we hit on a lot of those mitigation things in our deep dive of the Capital Avalanche. Yeah, yeah, Go yeah. back and listen to that, and and you can learn a little more about. Because the point is, we don't just take things as you know as they come and and ignore our ability to to make changes in real in real life. But in the projections that we're going to show, we just roll forward. Yeah, I think that's an important that, thing to to uh, recognize. Okay, Rod, so let's bust out our example and you know talk a little bit about some of the key points that people should be thinking about. Okay, so if you are listening to this on the podcast and you jump over to our YouTube channel, you'll be able to see the screen that I'm showing right now where we're showing uh, that initial 300,000 going in right here. Okay, so we've and got... An illustration, or this is kind of a sample illustration of, and again, this is Rod and I's po the policy, that, or I keep saying the policy, it, it consists of two policies, right? but this is a combination of the two policies that Rod and I just wrote Yep. on ourselves. And so we have this total cash value column that shows how the actual policies grow the cash value with that initial amount that, that we put in plus financing future money going into the policy moving forward 300,000 a year and then the net equity column this is the one that we're really emphasizing in this because this represents that that cushion that buffer in other words what this represents is it's the difference between the amount of cash value that we have in the policy versus the loan balance we always have more cash value than we're carrying on the loan in other words, another way to say that is our policy covers 100% of the collateral for the loan and then some. If you listen to our, uh, you know, any of the webinars or the deep dive or anything we've done on the Capital Avalanche, I continually emphasize, continually emphasize this idea that there's no outside collateral. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that makes Capital Avalanche uniquely different from traditional premium finance is this. We're continually keeping a net equity in the policy to prepare and plan for both the, the good times and the not as good of times, right? But it, it makes it a lot easier to think like, okay, 
my net equity might dip a little bit versus I've got to, you know, put up a significant, potentially a significant additional uh, collateral. This yeah. is just a lot easier, right? It's built right. in, it's self-contained. Yes, which I think is critical. All right, so we talked about the 2% spread. Mm-hmm. We talked about how we know there will be times when we're earning less than that, times we're earning more. There will even be times when we have a negative arbitrage. In other words, the loan interest in a year is higher than the growth that we're capturing inside of our policies. Therefore, we need this buffer as part of the plan. And okay, so let me just, when you say that, Rod, it's kind of funny because it's like, oh, we expect that that could happen like right now as an example and rising interest rates. And that's, that is a possibility, right? That's true. true. However, the expectation is that that will happen likely many times, multiple times throughout a 10, 20 year period, right? So Mm -hmm. as an example, anytime that the market doesn't perform, we're going to have a negative arbitrage, right? We're going to have a situation in that given year where the loan doesn't care that the policies didn't perform. They still Mm -hmm. want their interest. So again, it's not just in an, in a rising interest rate situation. It's in like, we expect that we know that going in that there will be years where the market doesn't perform and therefore we still have interest to pay. Well, where is that going to come from? It's built into the plan. That's what the net equity is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And this also might be a good time to, to, again, point out the reason why we use both whole life and IUL is because growth on the, on the whole life side has nothing to do with what's happening in the market. So in that example you gave, we're offsetting a lot of that by creating, we, we know there's going to be guaranteed growth. The dividend doesn't change because of what happened in the market, et cetera. So we're, we're kind of offsetting some of that, but, but it's all built in planning on those kinds of things, those scenarios happening, because we know they will. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Okay, Rod, so we've, I think we probably emphasized fairly well the value of that net equity. And again, the, and differentiated it from what we're, what we see in traditional premium finance, where there's outside collateral required. Now, I want to be careful. Uh, it's not that traditional premium finance doesn't absolutely have a place. It can be a really powerful and useful sure. strategy. What, what we're trying to emphasize here is just that the capital avalanche is an even safer, more conservative version. So even though we're borrowing more money over a longer, more extended period of time, we're also keeping this, the plan completely self-contained by making sure that we keep a net equity. And it becomes very, again, very easy for us to make, uh, to make mitigating decisions when we're seeing you know high interest rates or you know the market perform poorly okay so now that we've hit on the net equity rob let's talk a little bit about this question of whether i should do it now or whether i should wait till later because i think that's what's what people are thinking a lot of people really love the concept they love the strategy but it's hard to pull the trigger Mm -hmm. in times like today when you're like gosh interest rates are moving up like what, you know, what kind of impact is that going to have on us? So anyway, let, let's just talk a little bit about why somebody would, would do one or the other. Okay. Yeah. Good question. I, I think the first place to start is, is really going back to this whole idea of average spread. We know, mean, well, we know there'll be times where we where we have a lower spread than, than the 2% that we're, that we're illustrating, whether that happens immediately 
or whether that takes a few years before I see that or, or whatever. We just know it's going to be there. We're planning on it. We built in to the strategy for that. Okay. Now, if someone came to me and they said, okay, that's great, Rod, but if I can choose, then I, I'll choose when it's a little more stabilized rather than when it's we're actually in the midst of it rising. Mm-hmm. And I totally get that. I, I can understand why someone would say that. The difference to me becomes the time value of money by waiting. Number one, if, if I had a crystal ball and I knew exactly what interest rates were going to do and I could say, okay, I need to start my plan on this day because in year two, I'm going to start taking loans and and then then the, the interest rates will be exactly where I want them. Maybe you know there could be some validity to that. The problem is we don't know that, we'll, and we'll never know that what the future holds. So you know what, Rod? You know when would have been a really great time to start the this type of a plan? Right in two thousand eight, it would have been a fantastic time. But guess yeah. what? The same situation applies because people we were in fear living in the current situation. We assume that that's we're projecting that's going to be ongoing. Okay, I keep making this point, but. We suspect that probably three out of every 10 years are going to be negative arbitrage years. Mm-hmm. That's what that's built into the 2% spread. That's the point. Yeah. So anyway, I, I keep emphasizing that, but I just think it's really important to, to focus on the, the fact that everything is built in. Like, it's not a surprise that these things are happening. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the plan. Yeah. Yep. And when we look at just the whole idea of compound interest rates, compound growth, when if I wait to start something to start the compounding growth, what I'm doing is I'm chopping off years on the back end. In other words, which is when it's the most powerful, right? In in this example that we're looking at here, when we fast forward, so we we're saying, okay, well, what if what if Rod lives till ninety? Or whatever, right? Mm, you're gonna. I'm planning on it, Rod. Well, in that last year before I die at age 90, mm-hmm. this kicked out seven hundred nineteen thousand dollars of income. If I mm-hmm. wait a year to start the plan, I lost that seven hundred nineteen thousand dollars of income on the back end. If you live till 90, Rod. But, but I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, the the point is is well made, right? Like at the end of the day, the the plan design is one that it takes a little time to build the engine but that's what we're doing we're building Mm -hmm. the engine right the power is really in the fact that we just keep priming that pump with money Mm -hmm. and that's why that and that's why we call it the capital avalanche right because the idea is is that we're putting we're going to continually putting capital into it so that it can flow money out of it and that is what we're suggesting is even more impactful than trying to potentially time when to put it into place. Like that's just going to be a difficult thing. And here's the deal. It could be that, you know, we have this, this challenging time for six months, nine, who knows, right? Like maybe it'll last a couple of years, but the point here is we don't really know. And therefore we could certainly miss out on the recovery time, which, you know, generally is the strongest period of economic growth, 2007, 2008, we go through a little bit of pain and then it comes back and we have a full decade of, well, let's put it this way. If you were using any type of premium finance over the last decade, you've done very, very well. Yeah. Right. Okay. 
Rod, we probably hit that. Is there anything else you want to hit on as it relates to kind of the impact of rising interest rates on the capital avalanche? Let me do one thing. Uh, Cause we okay. talked earlier about how we, how we run the stress tests. I just want to show people what it looks like in this case, right? Yes, that's a great Because uh, do I think we're going to see interest rates rise the way they did in the 1980s? I don't. I, I, you listen to the real economists out there and uh, I haven't heard of any that believe it can go above much above like 6% because the, the debt that the U S is carrying can't bear it. Right. Um, but I think it is important to know, okay, but what if that really did happen? Right. What if we really are heading into a 1980s type of thing? Yeah. Right. Okay, good. It's important to, to the see what that looks like. up, right? Plan should blow up if that kind if, if we have a 1980s situation. Okay. That's what we're going to, we're going to see here. All right. So uh, before I do that again, our assumption on this one was generally 2% spread, but actually in the initial five years, we showed like a one and a half, one and a quarter, one and a half percent spread. Just to, okay, so just to kind of clarify spread that. Initially to try to kind of um, I, improvise is the word that's coming to me, but that's not the right word to plan and prepare, realizing the kind of current situation we're in. Yes, exactly. So if you're wondering why in our original uh, webinars or whatever, we were showing about a 14% IRR and this one, it's, it's about 12 and a half. That's why. Okay. That, that... Okay. So, and here's the other thing. It's poor, important to remember that these numbers that we're showing are not ever locked in. The right. actual numbers could end up being far better. They could be a little, they could be worse. Like we're going to talk about why we don't believe that it's going to be anything but positive overall but obviously that number is based on a bunch of assumptions that we have to make going yes good okay. okay so now when we take the same and we jump over and say all right well what if we had started this in 1978 get the policy going start taking interest or start taking loans in 1979 the kind of the worst time possible um and then what would have happened well, let's focus on, to begin with, let's focus on our net equity column. Because if I go back to the original one, we know that that in those initial years, our net equity number steps down a little bit each year because of the, the initial early costs, because we start taking the loans, in this case, in, in as early as year two. And so at off, off the original 300,000 we put in, uh, the kind of low water mark is 178,000. Okay. This is our original projection, kind of our probable interest rate scenario. Okay. In the 1980s, you'll notice that that steps down a little bit longer and a little bit lower as low as 161,000 on the net equity. My point is that's again, the point of the buffer is to absorb those types of scenarios. Um, but what it also emphasizes is this idea that interest rates went up and pushed the loan rate higher, but it also pushed the growth in the policies higher as well. We've already talked about why that would have happened in whole life, why that would have happened in IUL. So while the initial rise in interest rates uh, because of the lag, lag in the time it takes to start earning more in the policies uh, pushes that lower still it it relatively speaking wasn't all that bad when you consider well, what was happening at the time it's actually kind of surprising how 
similar, they still are, right? Like yeah. again, that one went down an extra like fifteen to twenty thousand, mm-hmm. but there's still significant equity that's left in it. Yep. It, it it's there and could absorb quite a bit more if it really needed to. Yep. Okay. So good point. we end up in IRR on this is is just a hair under ten. Um, but again, we just went through the worst high interest rate uh, kind of environment and and still ended up kicking out a fair amount of income. Just to comparison, just, just so you can see, on the original, the, the probable interest rate scenario we showed, uh, we end up producing about $11 million of income. On this stress-tested 1980s scenario, we end up kicking out about $5 million of income. But again, that's off of 300,000 original uh, money going in. So even in that worst case, the worst historical case, we still ended up producing a ton of income off of that original 300,000. Yeah, so not only did it not blow up, it still produced for us, right? Yeah. So yep. anyway, the, the point there is just to suggest that um, we know that those things are happening and the plans really built and developed to to take that on. Okay, Rod, I think that was good. Is there anything else that would be useful to hit on? I think that's what I have prepared. Okay, let's call it then. As always, feel free to reach out to Rod or I. We're happy to answer your questions directly, but hopefully this has been helpful. This has been fun, Rod. Thanks for taking some time and answering questions. Thanks everybody for joining us for today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.